This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 128, Suffering. I am Hal Hammonds and I am a citizen of heaven and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thank you for checking in this week. Life in Christ is still life on earth and that means hardship, sometimes beyond what we think ourselves capable of bearing. And in that moment, we can lean into God or run away from God. My guests this week have chosen the former, and we're all the richer for it. Matt Basford, well-known hymnist, is a preacher for the Jackson Heights Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Keith Stonehart preaches for the Fultondale Church of Christ in Fultondale, Alabama. Their perspective on suffering will inspire you to praise God for His blessings and commit to never taking them for granted. Let's start with what I've been preaching. I've been preaching about Jeremiah who had plenty of cause for suffering in his day, including ill treatment under the law, physical problems, a ministry that was doomed to underachieve, and a profound lack of appreciation from most of his brethren. In the end, though, he was able to rejoice in the blessings of God, which, despite the carnage surrounding him when he wrote Lamentations, truly are new every morning. What have you been able to learn through suffering, and what are you still trying to learn? Gentlemen, the floor is yours. I, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Lamentations. My favorite verse from the whole thing is when he says, is it nothing to you all who pass by? Now, I realize there's a larger context there with Jeremiah, but I, I can't help but think of the suffering Christ. It definitely paints a picture in my mind of those passing by the cross. For myself, I can identify with that. We long for the human interaction. I have found myself at times even thinking, man, is it nothing to you that I'm going through this? You know, where you're just hoping someone's going to reach out because it's very uncomfortable for us, I think, in 2021, especially to say, hey, I'm really struggling. Could you help me? And so I identify with with Jeremiah and the Lamentations quite a bit, especially in regards to suffering uh, and things that I've dealt with in my own life. Just to give a, a brief intro to my experience in this, that I would say there really been two times in my life when I have undergone great suffering. One was when my eldest daughter was stillborn. And now I am in the midst of the second because I have been diagnosed with ALS, which is a terminal illness. Both of those events deeply changed my whole perspective on life, especially now. I think that the way that I look at the world has really been simplified and clarified because all of those distractions offered by the distant future, that they're absent, that what matters to me now is my family is serving other people as best as I can and continuing to serve God. And if you have those checked off of your to-do list, then I think you are ending up in the right place. And of course, I always would have said that those things were important to me, but they have become more important because my current state has really forced me to focus my eyes on the eternal. How unusual do you think suffering is in the world? Do you find yourself contemplating fairness and all those kind of things? I think about it a lot, especially within the last you know two years uh, or 18 months or whatever it's been that, that we've been dealing with the, the COVID pandemic. There are a lot of people that suffer in regards to, um, you know, the severity of the illness. There are people that have suffered from mental stress and issues associated with not having contact with people. I, I think suffering is is a broad stroke 
mechanism that we all deal with to some degree. I think that, I mean, we, we've seen it in these last 18 months with COVID and whatnot, but I think that suffering is universal. I, I think that since sin entered the world in the garden, suffering was meant to be associated with that. I can't see suffering prior to that in the garden because everything was called good. And for all that to end, I, I wonder sometimes if the first suffering, if not when they sinned, their eyes were opened. Uh, and they were ashamed. Definitely when they stood on the other side of the garden, whatever that was, when they had to stand over there and they couldn't stand over here anymore, and the feelings of regret, having to start over. Since Satan ushered in the reality of sin and its consequences, human beings have suffered and will suffer until we go home. It's, it's interesting that you looked at Adam and Eve, and I might actually push the, the first suffering a little bit earlier even than leaving the garden, that I think it came with the first knowledge of sin. When you see Adam and Eve so ashamed that they hide from their loving creator, to some extent, social media, as much as we like to rail on it, has helped us because it is very common for brethren across the country and indeed across the world to post about their experiences of suffering. So you see that some preacher you know, he's on event and his family is uh, at their wits end about what to do and all of these other things that we have these reminders of the presence of suffering that are washing over us all the time. And I think that's very important because American society generally wants to pretend that If you have enough money, if you're in the right social sphere, then you're not going to suffer, that you're just going to be young and happy and prosperous forever. That's one of the the greatest obstacles to the gospel in our country is this idea that people have that I I can make it just fine on my own. I don't need God. I am perfectly self-reliant. I can achieve happiness on my own. Mm -hmm. And stuff like COVID has really given the lie to that, which is why I think so many in our society are struggling so much with that. You even see people kind of turning the government as their God, where you know if we just listen to the government and we let the government help us, they will be able to relieve all of this suffering, even to the extent that that is enacted. I think those people will be disappointed because our efforts to deal with suffering in this life will never be successful. Absolutely. And I think that too, there's a, there's a byproduct that suffering produces suffering, hurt people, hurt people. Cliche as that may sound, it's absolutely true. When you go to help a hurt animal, it lashes out at you. Suffering produces more suffering. And there's, there's a real need for acknowledgement of our place in it all. And when I see other people suffering, I mean, you know, the images of the last two weeks of, you know, what's going on in Afghanistan and the plane taking off, that produces something inside of all of us. And then what do we do with that? Well, a lot of times we lash out at someone who says something contrary to our ideology. So what do we do? Well, immediately we, you know, we go to work on the keyboard and, and we let them have it. And in essence, what we're doing is we're internalizing someone else's suffering and then projecting it out. On others, and I think this is obviously there's seen plenty in the scriptures where suffering produces suffering, and, and internalized pain becomes externalized 
there's an aspect in that in which we have to acknowledge it in ourselves. If we plan to not stop out, I don't know that we can stop it, but we can at least maintain it. I, while I love the idea of sharing and I'm, I'm thankful that we get to do that, there is an aspect in that which, which I wonder sometimes if it's, if it's too much. Just for instance, like I limit my social media time. I, I try to get on in the morning and then I, I might check it a couple of times through the day, but then I, I try not to check it again until nighttime. You know, it, it's hard to pull away from that. And there's something about the suffering that draws you in especially if you're sympathetic or empathetic to people, you want to be there with them in that pain. But then once you are, what do you do with it? And it just creates more of the same. You know, I've been reading in, uh, in Ezekiel over the last couple of weeks, and the constant references to Eden are, I think, interesting. It's, Eden is mentioned as often as in Ezekiel as it is in Genesis. And a lot of it is in terms of having left or having been kicked out or in a figurative sense being cast out of Eden. And I find myself thinking a lot about the view of Eden from the sinner's perspective, from the outsider's perspective. And you were talking about lashing out and, you know, hurt people, hurting people. Lots of times our anger goes toward God. The text obviously does not say anything about what happened to the garden of Eden, but I see no reason to believe from the text that it didn't survive exactly as is until the flood. Sure. Um, Maybe that wasn't the case, but if it was, if people lived for a thousand, 2000 years within almost eyesight of the garden of Eden, at least some of them did, they knew where it was. They knew the story. They saw the angel with the flaming sword. There are two very starkly different reactions that you can take to that. You can take the reaction of Adam and Eve as they left, I'm sure their reaction anyway, of of longing, of regret, blaming themselves, or you can lash out at God. This Mm. can be a a constant reminder. This is what God gave me, and this is what God took away from me. It's not my fault. It's my ancestors' fault. I didn't do anything wrong here. God is to blame for this, which is a little twisted, obviously, because if God gave the blessing in the first place, isn't it his to recall at his whim? That, that seems reasonable, but we're not always reasonable in suffering. We get angry, and we need somebody to blame. We need somebody to lash out at. And the idea that you could see this profound evidence for God and use it as a weapon against God, uh, against faith, that is a, uh, an amazing kind of thing to me. Job could have gone that way if he'd wanted to in his day. We're not going to have a talk about suffering for very long before bringing up Job, right? Job doesn't lash out at God. He accepts that good things and bad things happen in life, and such is going to be the case for all of us. He finds a way to praise God, especially in the tough times. He's not always happy about it, but he's drawn closer to God. Even his weaknesses, even his searching for answers that, as it turns out, as God told him later, you're not necessarily entitled to. Even that is a reaching out for God. It's a trying to connect to God, trying to be stronger in my relationship with God. A lot of people will take exactly the opposite approach. God owes me happiness. He owes me good circumstances. And if he doesn't give me that, then I'm done with God. Mm-hmm. And what a sad reaction that is, how ungrateful that is. There is a, a mindset among a lot of people that, it, well, if, if God's not 100% doing things in the positive in my life, then I want nothing to do with it. It's this sort of all or nothing mentality that, that if I suffer, if I struggle, 
then God's not God and I don't care. It's startling how many people that I know that have lost faith in the last couple of years that have turned away from the Lord that have left the church. And when you ask them why it's typically these reasons, how could God let this happen? Or how could God allow this to happen? What's going on with both of your comments, I think is the idea that suffering is a choice. It gives you the opportunity to change dramatically in a way that you would not have if you had never encountered suffering. It's like all the bolts get loosened up so you can move something around. Yeah. Sometimes that change can be for the better. And sometimes it can be very much for the worse. And the question is, I think exactly as Hal indicated, is if you are going to seek the Lord through this suffering like Job did. Job in many places in Job is not happy with God at all, but this is still his conversation with God instead of, okay, God has done, uh, done this to me. So I'm going to curse God and die. And a lot of people are in curse God and die mode when it comes to suffering. Although if you stop to think about it, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, in, in my position, my only hope is God. If I turn my back on God now because this has happened to me, what does that get me? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I'm I, I'm just a, a bug underneath the boot of the universe. That's profound. Uh, that's um, I think often in in regards to suffering, like like Job, we know that Satan is involved with that. Uh, that essentially he was the one that ushered in suffering as a consequence of sin, and therefore he's the master of it. In, in my opinion the majority of the suffering we go through is because of him, if not all of it. I think to Luke's gospel, whenever Jesus tells Peter, Simon, he's asked for you by name. He wants to sift you like wheat. The sifting, you know, this, the sifting is, is, is what's happening. That as we're sifted, we're seeing what's left, what we're made of. And the sifting is the suffering. And I can't help but just, I focus so much on Jesus's response more so then the sifting, his response was, but I've prayed for you. You know, I've prayed for you that when you return, I mean, obviously implying that this was going to have an effect on him, but that when he returned, he would strengthen his brothers. He would share with his brothers what he's been through. And I think that's, that's one of the great aspects of this conversation is that we can share not just our suffering, but where we came out on the other side of it. If we go back and use the, the Joseph cliche that, that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. If all things work together for those who love the Lord, then there's going to be good at the other end of it, whether it's strength or perspective or wisdom or, or, or whatever. And I think those are the things that we should share. I think that's right. Although you know, in my case, uh, certainly there are lessons that I have learned now that are, are very spiritually useful. But a lot of what I am hoping to do is to allow God to use me to produce good in the lives of others. Absolutely. That, you know, if somebody looks at me and finds strength to endure their own hardship, then I'm accomplishing exactly what I want to accomplish. Well, let's, let's put the shoe on Keith's foot here for a second, because Keith's perspective, at least in part, on suffering is somewhat different because you come, Matt, from a perspective where you had established faith when these hardships hit you. Keith has a chapter two in his life that were not from a perspective of faith. It began for me young. 
I experienced uh, sexual abuse from an older family member from around the age of five until about eight. And so I would say that Satan came for me at five to inflict suffering and, and pain because, you know, while I didn't understand what was happening and, and I trusted this person, you know, and there's, there's a switch in my mind somewhere that says, well, at that time where I, it was okay, you know, because you just trust older people that this is normal. This is, this is fine. By the time I was 14, I realized that it wasn't. And, you know, the internal suffering, I mean, God, I, I didn't suffer any physical, you know, uh, suffering from that, but the, the mental suffering uh, of wondering why this happened to me, what, what, what did I do to cause this, you know, and what did it mean now? Did it mean that I'm supposed to, you know, that I, am I supposed to be homosexual? Cause I don't feel homosexual, but homosexual things happened to me. Right. And so you had this, this internal battle that produces a lot of anger and a lot of just agonize. I mean, like, you know, where you would, I, I would, I would dwell on it and dwell on it. And so it, it made me, it made me violent. You know, I mean, my, my ninth grade year of high school, I was held back because I got suspended nine times for fighting, right? That's, that's five days of pop. That's 45 days of zeros that you're not going to make up. And it was because if anyone said anything to me in a negative way, uh, because I'd internalized all this suffering, this anger, this anguish, it projected out the drug use and alcohol use began around that age and then magnified over, you know, the next 14 years until I became a Christian when I was 28. But those 14 years, you know, I was seeking anything that would alleviate what was going on in here. And, and the, the truth is, is when I was drunk or when I was high, I didn't think about those things. That was kind of the beauty of it. You would just kind of zone out and into, into nowhere. And so for at least that little while, you didn't suffer. Now, not realizing that what you're creating was long-term suffering with engaging in the, in these behaviors. And that's not the, that's not leaving out all of the other immorality that I was involved with during that time. I, I left the trail of destruction behind me trying to validate my own sexuality, trying to validate my own experience that, that what happened to me wasn't true. So I'm going to prove it by doing this. And, you know, eventually those things catch up to you. The guilt from hurting other people catches up to you. And what do you do, but to continue to drown it and continue to push it down. And so whenever I became a Christian at 28, I was at the lowest point. I had hurt everyone around me because of my suffering. I had, I had taken my suffering and rather than having the proper outlets or the proper mechanisms to cope. It, it, it inadvertently, I never wanted to hurt anybody, but that's what happens. I mean, it just, it, it just comes out of you that when these things go undealt with, they manifest, they do. And whether it's, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're using substance to, to deal with it. So you're lying to people to, to hide that, or whether it's, you know, you're, you're using money that you don't really have for this, uh, and, and therefore you're hurting your family situation, whether it's, I mean, a whole host of things, but there's, there's a, there's a trail that begins that, of you know, lies and deceit and mani- manipulation and, and, and it's all self-serving. And a lot of times we look from the outside with, you know, we, uh, Jay Oswald Sanders said, eyes that look are common, eyes that see are rare. And I love that quote because we often see people and we think, oh, wow, how selfish are they? 
but we have no idea what all led up to that, that moment that we're seeing them in time. And, you know, I was selfish, you know, but it was, I was trying to heal and protect and cope with all the damage that I'd internalized for the last 14 years, you know, and that doesn't excuse any of it, but that, that, that is the reality of it. And so coming to Christ was, um, I'll be honest, it was uncomfortable. I knew that I had to do something else. My brother-in-law sat and studied with me um, when it all kind of, when the wheels all came off, as they say, you know, and I was an atheist. I, how, how could I possibly believe uh, in an all loving heavenly father when my dad was such a wreck? I couldn't make the connection that, that there's a God that I can't see that loves me, but the dad that I can see doesn't. How do you make those things marry each other? And, um, and so when my brother-in-law sat and studied with me, or he didn't really study with me, he just talked with me at first. You know, he said, he said in so many words, you've made a mess of your life and you've hurt everyone around you. What have you got to lose in trying something else? I mean, you've already lost it all. I mean, I mean, I, we were at a point where my wife had taken my daughter and left, rightfully so, you know, because of the damage that I was causing. Um, my daughter was two at the time. And, um, you know, and so whenever he convinced us to, to, or he convinced me to meet him at the Mountain View Church of Christ in Cumming, Georgia, um, he said, I will try to get Kelly to meet you there. And so in the next few weeks, whenever we would study with the evangelist there, a guy named Brownie Reeves, I don't know if y'all know Brownie or not. He could tell right off the bat from the get-go, there was a lot going on. And so in our first conversations, he didn't push me on that. All he really wanted to do was, was show me what the scriptures had to offer in regards to truth and regard. And because I didn't really understand even what that concept was, but what the scriptures had to offer in regards, in regards to peace, which is something completely foreign to me, what the scriptures had to offer in regards to comfort and those sorts of things. And I remember as we're in our, in our preliminary discussions, I mean, cause I drug this out for a couple of weeks before I, I would even let a study happen. And I remember very well the the verse, you know, from Matthew's gospel, you know, come unto me all that labor and I'll give you rest. And I, and I remember thinking, well, even if this isn't true, that sounds really good. And it got me, it got me thinking. And, and so fast forward, you know, if you, we study a few weeks, we, we become very open with Brownlee about the things we were struggling with, about my addictions and you know, past traumas and all these things. And, um, you know, after we became Christians, it, that was only the beginning because it would still be several more years before I could, I could shuck those, those habits. And, um, you know, where, even though where I've accepted at some degree, God is real and Jesus loves me and he died for me. And therefore I should live for him. You don't take 28 years of suffering and just just snap your fingers and it's gone. There was a process of healing and a process of falling down and getting up and falling down and, you know, relapsing with drugs. And, you know, uh, my wife and I fought so much during that time. I mean, obviously it wasn't until probably seven or eight years down the road before I could look back and I could see progress. You know, even to this day, there are still things that I won't say that I suffer with, but that I still think about, um, you know, guilt being one of those. And I, and I know that's Satan still sifting me. I know that that's him still 
trying to turn me up in some way to, to get me to, to, to look back and, and, and regret something. But truthfully, I can say that from that aspect, the childhood trauma, the, the, the teenage years and the, and the, the fights and the violence, and then the, you know, the, the, the addiction years, I don't suffer with those things anymore. They're still there. I still think about them. But I can truly say that 20 years, this side of, of being a Christian, aside from daily study and reading, I have a humongous church family support group. I mean, you guys, you know, guys like Edwin Crozier, who we were talking about, Kenny Embry, Wes McAdams, Chris Emerson, Dan DeGarmo, all, 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 of, all of Dan Chaney. I mean, there's, there's so many guys that I, that I'm able to, uh, how your brother, Paul, I mean, he's, he's a guy that I, that I, that I hang out with here in town and it's, you have a support system. So on top of the scriptures, on top of, of, of the truth, on top of all those things, you've got a family that helps support you in these things. And so I can say with a hundred percent honesty that this side of the, of the cross, I'm, I don't suffer. Now I suffer with other things. Now I, I've got new problems. <laughs> I've got, I've got new things that I deal with. I mean, you know, um, a couple of years ago, my wife had breast cancer and that was, that was a tough time because it does flesh out Matt, as you were talking about, I mean, it, it fleshes out your faith. It, it, it puts a very real perspective on it, but I don't suffer with those things anymore. And it's fascinating, Keith, just to listen to your story and realize how different it is from mine and how much of an impact that has on the way that we've confronted our various experiences of suffering. Because, you know, I had an absolutely white picket fence background with two amazing godly parents who loved God, who loved his word. And I mean, when I, when I got older, I, I made my share of mistakes and inflicted my share of suffering on myself uh, because of my sin. But at the same time, I always knew what the answer was. Mm-hmm. I was never in a place of my place in my life where I didn't know that the right thing to do was to seek the Lord. You know, having to figure that out and not having that it is just a horrible place to be. I've probably said a hundred times since my diagnosis that I don't I don't know how somebody goes through this if they're not a Christian. Amen. What you illustrated when you were younger was how people go through this, that you are just grabbing at anything you can do to kill the pain. Absolutely. And I mean, if I were an atheist, I, at this point I would be a nihilist and mm-hmm. I, I could totally see me becoming an alcoholic or a drug addict. What do you do with this internal misery? Right. I am so thankful for the God who gives us rest for the God who is able to make our suffering meaningful. And I, I, th- I think that's where you are. Yeah. It's not that you're happy that you went through all that, but it is something that you are able to make meaningful because you're a Christian and a preacher and you can use that to help others. Absolutely. Would it be overly simplistic to say it's about short-term versus long-term? You know, when you're in the middle of suffering, 
you want relief from the pain. That's all that matters. You got to get rid of the pain and whatever works works. Yeah. That's, that's Keith's story. You know, if alcohol works, then bring on the alcohol. If sex works, then bring on the sex, whatever. I have to get out of the pain. The, the short term is all that matters. And being able to, to see things long-term, a lot of people in Matt's position would be the, the same kind of way. I only have a certain amount of time on this life. I'm going to use it for myself. There's no long-term. All I have is short-term. I'm going to absolutely indulge myself. And having enough faith in your pain to see long-term, to see that there is a future and a hope, going back to Jeremiah, we've made a full circle here, that God has something for me that's beyond the suffering, that's beyond the life of suffering. I can't help but think about one of my favorite stories in the life of David. I mean, he had really been through it, the issue with Bathsheba. And um, when their son is born and he's born sick, you know, and, 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 you know, he fasts and he doesn't eat, you know, and, and prays constantly while, while the son is alive. And then, you know, when he, when, when his son dies, he gets up, he bathes, he tells the servants to bring him food. And they're like, what are you, what is this about? I mean, you know, while he was alive, you're in here mourning like he's dead and now he's dead and you're, you're okay. And he's like, man, I can't bring him back, but one day I'll get to go to him. And I just, man, that's one of those lines that I've read over a hundred times. And then there was the hundred and first time it just jumped off the page at me. Uh, (laughs) It it does give me hope, you know, that, that through all this suffering, that is the end. That's the finality of it all. And yet, Ooh, sorry. I'll go to him, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the, um, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. And what, what you say reminds me of what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews too, about how Jesus came to free those who, because of the fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. That that's exactly the thought that ultimately we, we suffer because of the fear of death. You know, it's, it's something that I continue to, to struggle with. One of the most well-known hymns in our repertoire is this world is not my home. I find that that was easier to sing in the times when my demise was at some indefinite date far in the future than it is now, because now saying that really makes me, makes me reflect Mm. because, you know, it's not even the sins. It's the, the innocent things that God has given us to share in. You know, just going out your front door in the morning and taking a deep breath and enjoying the the birds and the sunshine. There are many things in this world that are are sweet that God has made us to enjoy. Yeah, but but ultimately, I mean, this is a place we will leave. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.howhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off. <laughs>